deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins, and with me, as always, is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. This is Season 2, Episode 3. And as always, we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So something we didn't cover when we started the Advent series that I kind of I thought about last week in, in during the service, um, there are kind of four themes of Advent, and there's two different ways to approach them, right? There's There's concepts, and then there's like characters, if you will. Yeah, there's a theme and a symbol okay. for each of the four Sundays of Advent. Uh, for the first Sunday, the theme is hope. Uh, and the symbol is the prophet, because that's what the prophets did. They gave us hope that someday God would fix every all the brokenness. Uh, the second Sunday, uh, the theme is peace, and the symbol is angels. Third Sunday, the theme is joy, uh, and the symbol is shepherds. And then on the final uh, Sunday, the theme is love, and surprisingly, the symbol is wise men or magi. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, like I said, those are kind of some of the Advent things we didn't cover. So I'm like, yeah, you know, we didn't cover that last week. We should do it. So I'm glad we covered that. Um, So we continue our walk through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, What chapter and verses are we covering this week? We are going to jump ahead. We are just, we finished up chapter one last week. uh, And so normally we'd move into chapter two, verse one. uh, But instead, we're going to jump ahead to verse 13. Uh, And the reason for that is verses one through 12 cover the Magi, the wise men. And the first Sunday in January is always Epiphany. Sunday in the liturgical church. Uh And Epiphany Sunday, most years, deals with the wise men or the magi. Uh, So we're going to back up and we'll hit those first 12 verses uh, in the first Sunday in January. So tonight we're going to skip over that and we're going to go to verses 13 through 18 of chapter 2. And you're throwing a curveball at me, and you're reading from what translation this week? Yeah, tonight we're working out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, Greek, uh, unlike English, has uh, endings on words that tell you, uh, is this the start of a new paragraph, a new thought, a new theme, or does this tie to the sentence that just preceded it, or does it tie back to the main theme of the previous chapter? Uh, so Greek kind of helps you know what the, this verse relates to, to help give you context. The other thing Greek does is in the written form, there are variants that tell you what the emotion is, because sometimes when we read it's difficult for us to tell, is this guy angry or is he frustrated or is he defeated? You know, the, the words that he writes could be taken a lot of different ways. Uh, and so Holman, I think, in my opinion, does a really good job of being an accurate translation, but of giving us English words that really communicate the emotion that's going on in those Greek words. And uh, tonight there's some good emotion going on. So I wanted to work from, from this translation so that the, the, uh, the emotive words are co- sort of uh, highlighted for us. So Greek had no punctuation or emoticons. <laughs> True. <laughs> we don't, there's no lol in Greek, right? <laughs> All right. So. so Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. 
after they were gone, and that's the, the wise men that are gone, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw what had been outwitted, he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. Amen. Yeah, so I'm working out of the uh, NLT, and it's not terribly different. I mean, word structure or word order is different, but you get the same idea. Um, mine's probably a little easier to read, but that's because yeah. it's NLT, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the point. So we kind of skipped the section about the visitors, the the magi or the wise men, right. that whole part. that he They come, and we'll cover them deeper yeah. later, so we don't want to stick too close here, but... The wise men come, they tell Herod, the king of, he's the king of Israel? Or yeah. Is, he's, he's, yeah. He's not like the um, leader of all of Rome. He's not no, the, he's no, just he's the, the new king of Israel, of Palestine. What, what more do we know about Herod? Yeah, you might wonder, big deal, the king of Israel hears there's a baby born that, that might be a king someday. Why is Herod getting all wrapped around the axle on this? Well, the problem is, Herod's not Jewish. He's Idumean. He's not actually an Israelite. He's descended um, not from Jacob, but from Jacob's brother Esau. He is an illegitimate king. He becomes the king of Israel because his dad just happens to be really good friends with Julius Caesar right after he's kind of conquered the known world at that time. And he, he gives uh, the, the kingdom to, uh, to his buddy's son, to Herod. And Herod knows if someone comes along who really is a legitimate Jewish son of David, a descendant of David, um, the people— might over because the people don't particularly like Herod. He's not a real likable person, right? And he's afraid that there could be a revolt and he could be thrown out. So anybody that might have a legitimate claim to the throne is a definite threat to him. And you remember last week, or well, two weeks ago, we went through Jesus's lineage, his ancestry, to prove he is a descendant of David. Uh, and then last week, when the angel appears to Joseph to tell him, "Go ahead and and marry Mary." Um, he rem he calls Joseph a son of David. You're a descendant of David, and he reminds him that from him could come the descendant of David that we're right. all looking for. Uh, and Herod is well understands that part of prophecy, uh, and so Jesus terrifies him. Right. Because he's, what if he's the real deal? Right. <laughs> he's scared of a baby. But <laughs> <laughs> he's probably kind of cuckoo in the head too, right? Um, Roman leaders weren't necessarily known for being sane people. No, no. <laughs> you know? But they come to him. They say, hey, we saw this star in the night. We, we came to see because that star indicates that something great is going to happen. So they came. They told Herod about it. He says, oh, 
go visit and tell me all about it. And then as we find out, they don't come back and tell them about it. They just kind of sneak off in the night and say, oh, we're not going to. Just like Joseph, they're warned by an angel right. in a dream. Okay. So. so that's kind of where we pick up. Right. Now we have another angel coming to Joseph. Right. Man, a guy can't get a good night's sleep, huh? <laughs> All these angels in the middle of the night. Um, they come and tell him, you know, get up and get out. Yeah. So Joseph gets up, leaves, and goes to Egypt. Why Egypt? Why would he go to Egypt of yeah. all places? Um, 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians. The city is destroyed and the holy temple is torn down uh, and people flee everywhere. And a large group of wealthy uh, Jerusalemites kidnap the prophet Jeremiah and they leave for Egypt with him. They've got safe passage to Egypt, and they've got some land there that they're going to be allowed to settle on. Uh, and they they get out of Dodge with, with Jeremiah against his will, but haul him off to Egypt to a safe place. Um, 600 years later, when Jesus comes along, there is still a huge Jewish community living there about halfway between Jerusalem and Alexandria, uh, where um, Hebrew uh, and Aramaic are spoken, where Jewish money is acceptable, where you wouldn't stand out uh, if you were Jewish and then you were practicing your religion. You would you would fit right in in this community about halfway between the two cities. So if Joseph flees there, and he can get there pretty quickly in two or three days, if he flees there, he can disappear. Nobody's going to look for a Jew and a brand new baby in this city. Right. Little little Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> New yeah, Jerusalem almost. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it, it's a safe place, an easy place to hide um, where he will he will fit in and Herod will never find him there. He's right? just going to blend in so well that, that they haven't got a chance of finding him. Right. Good idea, I guess. Um, and now Herod kind of goes crazy. He says, you know what? Just to be safe, let's kill all of the babies, all the male babies two years old and younger. He just wants to wipe the whole slate. Right. Which is horrific to think about, right? Yeah. That's yeah. just a terrible kind of thing. Um, and he really did it, didn't he? You know, there's a a large group nowadays of, of neo-historians and neo-Bible studiers who uh, doubt that this story happened. They think that it's all uh, just something that Matthew made up to give more drama and, and mir miracle to Jesus's infancy, uh, and they say, "No, no, no, King would do that. That's just ridiculous. Wipe out all the boys in a city." Um, and it's true we don't have records from the city of Bethlehem uh, about this event. We don't even have the records of Bethlehem uh, for the census that was taken. So Bethlehem was a a tiny little village, and they didn't do good at record keeping. So it's not a surprise we don't have have any documentation of it. What we do have great documentation on is Herod and what kind of a person he was. And we have them from several different sources outside of the Bible uh, where they've been checked, fact-checked, and double-checked, and, and are validated, verified stories. Uh, one of them is this. Uh, Herod had several wives. His second wife was by far and away his most favorite, Mary Amney. He loved her, uh, and, and all of the historians really agree on that, that his other wives were mostly political moves, 
but Mary Amney, he married for love. And he has two sons with her. Uh, now, they're not the sons who are going to inherit the kingdom because they're from his second wife, not from his first wife. Uh, but they're his sons. He and he and Mary Omni uh, brought these children into the world. One day, Herod's sitting uh, with an advisor, and Mary Omni comes into the room, kisses him on the forehead, walks out, uh, and, and the, the guest says something like, uh, wow, you really love your wife, and she really loves you. And Herod says, yeah, yeah, woman is crazy about me. And the guy says, well, that's a good thing because, you know, her sons are crazy for her. If she were ever to try and plot against you, I, I think her boys would join her. That night, Herod has Mary Omni strangled, and he has assassins murder the two boys. Now, that's a verified <laughs> fact. His favorite wife, the only one he ever loved, and his own two sons with her, all murdered within 24 hours of some guy just throwing this crazy comment out there about, well, it's a good thing they don't want to take the throne from you. There was no plot. There was no indication that was in the works. It was just a weird idea. And the second it hit Herod's head, he slaughtered his own family. The little rascal has spirit. Has what, sir? Spirit? Yes, he did, sir. And, uh, spirits, um, uh, bravado, a touch of bearing do. Oh, uh, about 11, sir. Man. Like I said, not known for being straight-headed people. <laughs> when he gets to the end of his life, uh, Herod is aware that people don't like him, that he's pretty much universally despised and hated. Uh, and so he knows uh, when he dies that, that nobody's going to cry for Herod. So he sits down with his general just before his death and he plots out, okay, um, I'm going to die at this place here in my bed here in Jerusalem. Um, I want this whole procession to take me to this sort of arena-like place that he had created just outside of town. And all of the city officials, in fact, all of the governors and mayors from all over Israel are going to be part of this processional uh, and follow me and follow my body out to this arena. Soon as you get them in the arena, lock the doors and kill them all. People won't cry for me, but by golly, there are going to be tears on the day I'm buried. There'll be some tears in Jerusalem no matter yeah. what. Huh? Oh my so gosh. these are valid facts, verified facts about Herod. Do you think it would disturb him in the least to kill some baby boys, one of whom might be a legitimate heir to the throne? Doesn't sound like he'd have any problem with that. Combined with the fact that, that movies tend to portray this as a really big event. But Bethlehem is a tiny little burg. Uh, current demog or demographics tell us probably if it was a typical city, there were 20 boys under the age of, of two. So it's not like he's slaughtering thousands. It's a couple dozen kids. All right. Just nice. to make sure the throne stays in my name. Uh, it is entirely within line of what we know about Herod. So I am convinced this actually happened. Wow. We call it the slaughter of the innocents. Uh, yeah, because they didn't know. No. <laughs> Man, I died for some other kid. That's crazy. <laughs> There's a weird part here, um, and it's in verse 14, right? The night That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And then we kind of pop up, and, and Matthew tells us, and they stayed there until the death of Herod. Right. Right, so we kind of jump out of time, yeah, to kind of pick that piece up, and then we jump right back into the story. Yeah, and then Herod went nuts. Right, that's just kind of weird to me that they 
it's kind of a, he, like I said, he like kind of last week when he pops up out of the story and tells you, you know, here's what kind of really happened. Now let's get back to the story. Unlike kind of the other gospels, Matthew is very aware somebody is reading this. Right. And so, yeah, from time to time, he engages directly with the reader rather than with the, the story. So I found that interesting. Um, so in this one, we had another angel visit, and then we had two prophecies. Yeah. What about, what about the prophecies? Okay. Um, there are a lot of people who say, Matthew clearly didn't understand the Bible. He just looks through the Bible and he finds any verse he can find anywhere that says something about Egypt, and that happens to be Hosea 11.1. 1. So he throws that in there as, aha, Jesus fulfills this prophecy. Uh, and then he just grabs one that has to do with being sorry for the deaths of children. So he grabs Jeremiah 31.15 and throws that in there. If you read both of those prophecies— that's true. They have absolutely nothing to do with predicting the arrival of Jesus or predicting the ministry of Jesus. And, and so uh, even if you believe that, that, uh, that Matthew had a, a good intent, you might be scratching your head wondering, why these two verses? Yeah, it says Egypt, and yeah, it says you know weeping over the children, but why those two? They don't have a thing to do with what's going on in this story. Uh, and actually, the deal is— both of those verses have to do with, is God in control when everything is crazy? The first one out of Hosea talks about the Assyrians coming, and they're this plague like locusts who just swarm in and destroy everything in town and then blow away and leave your, your people you know, without food, without money, most of your, your citizens taken away as slaves – what just happened and where was God to protect us? And Hosea's verse that, 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 that it comes out of is, is actually about even in the midst of this Assyrian onslaught, God is in control and he's actually using this to accomplish his will. And then the verses from Jeremiah are about the Babylonians doing the exact same thing. So rather than, than uh, Matthew de deliberately saying, God predicted that Jesus would go to Egypt and come back or that God predicted there would be the slaughter of the innocents. I really think what Matthew is trying to say is even in moments of fleeing for your life to keep a crazy king from slaughtering you. Like the Assyrians or the Babylonians. God is still in control. Herod may be going nuts and he may be driving Jesus out of his own land. But we've seen that before, and we've seen that God was not absent, and in fact, God was manipulating the situation to accomplish something more wonderful later on. And so I think Matthew is leading us uh, into the mindset, something really good can come out of this trip to Egypt. Very interesting. Yeah, because I, lo I looked back at both of those, Mike. Okay, yeah, it, you could read it that way, but it's really not what Hosea or Jeremiah no, are saying. No, <laughs> that was not the context that right. they put it in. It wasn't – those were not delivered as prophecies of of the Messiah and what would happen to him. Right. So, yeah, I always try and watch out for those because people have misused that in the past. And I always yes. try and be careful to you know check the context and make sure it really means that before you go slapping somebody over the head with that. Yeah. So, yeah, it was weird that Matthew did it, but now I, I understand why he was – the the larger thought was that God is still in control, even when things don't seem to be in control or when things are going crazy. God is still in control, and he can manipulate time and people and situations 
that look terrible in the moment for us, but in the larger picture and in his timeline, it works out for the best. Uh, there are several stories of what happened to the apostles uh, as they went throughout the rest of their lives. They're not contained in the Bible. They are extra-biblical stories. Um, but all the stories about Matthew agree he ended up in Egypt, probably around this same community that Jesus fled to, and he was aware that there was a price on his life, uh, that the Egyptians had assassins out looking for him. So I think Matthew is also kind of talking to himself at this point of everything is crazy and it looks like foolishness, but God is in control. I trust, I trust, I trust. I'm going to believe that. Yeah, you kind of have to. It's, at times it feels like you just have, that's all you can do is yeah. say, God, you're in control. Take over and I'll just do whatever you say. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to cover in this? Uh? Yeah, there's something I want to I want to talk about that's not – it's tied to this text uh, circumstantially. Um, Matthew, throughout this gospel, throughout what the 28 chapters of this gospel, um, is going to present us frequently with what we call typology, that uh, other people have been a type of Jesus or Jesus sometimes is a type of other people – to help us recognize what's going on. In this story tonight, uh, Matthew, by, by the words that he chooses, ties Jesus with Moses. Um, Moses had a slaughter of the innocents when he was a baby. Right. The pharaoh of Egypt says, wow, these Jews are just reproducing way too fast. They're going to take over the country if we're not careful. Start drowning the baby boys. And and all of the baby boys are being drowned. Moses escapes through a miracle. Right. So Jesus and Moses are both hunted by the king of the land, and they both escape via a miracle. So that, that kind of ties Moses and Jesus together. They have this similar start. Um, Moses, of course, is going to be raised in Pharaoh's own household because his daughter finds Moses floating in the Nile. Right. Um, so Moses is a commoner who's going to be raised as royalty. Jesus is royalty, but he's going to be raised as a commoner right. in Joseph's house. So they, they have that uh, tie together. Uh, they both have to flee their homeland. Uh, Moses, after he, he kills the, uh, uh, the overseer, has to run out of Egypt for safety. Jesus has to run into Egypt for safety. Uh, they're both men are going to take on the most powerful government in the world at that time. Moses is going to take on Egypt. Jesus is going to take on Rome through Pilate. Right. So they're both going to take on the most powerful government in the world on behalf of the Lord God. And then finally, both of them have to teach people who know there is a God but just don't understand how God works. They're both going to have to teach. Uh, Moses has people who haven't known their God for 400 years, and they're going to have to learn from, from step one. Jesus has people who've been lied to by the priests. God doesn't love you. That's why you're poor. That's why you're a laborer. That's why you're sick. That's yeah, why you're... That's, yeah, is all proof that God doesn't love you. So Jesus is going to have to, to tell these people, no, you've been taught wrong. That's not how God works. So these men have so many similarities in their lives that that Moses is sort of a pre-Jesus in, in, in how he operates. Jesus is a fulfillment of Moses in saving the people. Moses saved his group from the Pharaoh. Jesus is going to save everyone from Satan. 
and so typology shows up throughout Matthew, and tonight's text is a, a one of his first demonstrations of that. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I see the parallels now, but yeah, that's, that's really cool. Thank you for that. Anything else? That's all I've got. Okay, this is a short episode. We'll go ahead and close this episode. Um, have you given a sermon title yet? Yeah, I'm calling it Born to Die. Um, Jesus comes specifically to die on the cross, uh, not to die in Bethlehem as a two-year-old and not at, at many other times in his life. When we're going to watch it, Matthew is going to show Jesus intentionally withdrawing from conflict, sending his disciples away so he doesn't ruffle uh, anyone's feathers, because Jesus knows the only time I can die is on Passover weekend in Jerusalem, innocent. So right. he's, he's born to die, but not now. <laughs> now and not yet. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so if you'd like to listen to this sermon that Rocky delivers, it'll be on our website at www.ponderumc.org. Look for the ministries menu at the top and then down to sermons. Look for the sermon Born to Die. And this will have been delivered on December 12th, 2021. And with that, I think we'll close this episode from the small town of Ponder, Texas, where you don't use your turn signals because everybody knows where you're going. <laughs> this is Ken Corkins <laughs> and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and be nice to people. Thank you for listening. You can find us at www.ponderumc.org. There, you can watch the live stream of our casual service, listen to replays of this and past sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible. Really?